Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, your co-host is David Robinson. David is a client of mine, and he is doing big things in the real estate syndication industry. I know you are going to enjoy today's show. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, David Robinson. Today, our guest is Arthur Drozd. Arthur, welcome to the show. I appreciate you coming on. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. So before we started the podcast, you had mentioned your experience during quarantine about listening to the real estate syndication show. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. I discovered it. The gym was closed in California, so I had to do some other things, walk in the woods or go on the beach and need to listen to some podcasts. And I accidentally found yours. And then I found out there was 700 of them by then, I think was done. And I'm like, I missed so many. So I was listening five or six at a time until I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. So on my daily yeah. walk, I was listening to a daily show and I learned a lot. I mean, it's a lot of information, seriously. I mean, this year I did a cost segregation study from the guys who suggested on three of my buildings in Las Vegas. It saved me over a million dollars. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, Whitney's done an incredible job and his team over there has done an incredible job. So glad you're finding a lot of value in the previous episodes. So a little bit about Arthur. Arthur is an experienced owner and operator of commercial real estate investment firm. He has specific experience in turning mismanaged or abandoned multifamily assets into profitable businesses. Currently, he owns and operates 364 multifamily units and mixed-use properties with over $61 million under management. And Arthur, that's just obviously a very, very short bio. Maybe if we can start off, I'd love to back up a little bit and just hear a little bit more about your past experience and then bring us forward to what you're focused on today. I was born in Soviet Union in Russia and uh, grew up in the suburb of Moscow in a communal apartment. My family had a one room and four of us, me and my sister and my parents lived in one room about 300 square feet. And we shared a bathroom and a kitchen with two other families. So real estate was in a short supply <laughs> in Soviet wow. Union. So that's what happens when the government trying to run housing, right? So demand was high, but supply was short. So yeah, I grew up in Soviet Union, went to the military and the Soviet army, and then immigrated into the United States, got married and started in a car business first and was in car business for about 15 years, grew from being a salesman on the floor of a Toyota dealership to a general manager and of a, an Infinity dealership and then one of the part owners of automotive assets in Far East. And during 2009... I realized that it was a great time to get into real estate. I always wanted to get real estate into real estate and commercial real estate primarily, but I couldn't because the entry price was so, so high, especially in Bay Area here. I mean, you couldn't afford it to, for a normal human being, especially an immigrant, to save enough money to get into anything like that. But in 2009, I started going to the auctions and then looking at, at the properties that were offered and 
started realizing that everything that was offered was offered the pennies on the dollar compared to what the loans were. And I realized that there's going to be even bigger crash because the banks are going to lose an enormous amount of money at the time. So within probably a few months, I liquidated my stock portfolio savings and started investing into real estate here. At the time, I was reading a book. It was a biography of a Rothschild family. And one of the founders there says that the best time to buy is when there's blood on the streets and a famous word of and uh, of a Joe Rothschild. And I thought, wow, this is interesting because at the time, the properties in Bay Area didn't drop as much, but there was only one town called Vallejo. It's a Bay Area town where properties were dropping much more than anywhere else. And the reason being is because Vallejo declared bankruptcy right around that time. The city of Vallejo, one of the very few cities in America that ever did. And they cut police and they cut firefighters and they cut services. And I thought, you know what, this would be probably the good time to buy it because literally you're buying foreclosures. And I was lucky enough to get into it because a lot of people were afraid that it's going to drop everyone. It's going to be one worse. It's going to be a urban warfare, it's crime, and which it did increase. There was a huge increase in murder rates and crime. But I kind of thought, you know what, it's a Bay Area city. It's right on the Bay. It's a great weather. It's 30-minute ferry commute to San Francisco. So how bad can you get? And so I was buying those properties and first start flipping and then realized that it's better to keep them, refurbish them, remodel, and rent it almost to the same people who, who left them. There were even places where I could buy like half of the street and control the narrative of who was going to live there. And that, that part was actually really interesting because take a place that was boarded up and with a lot of street walkers and drags and drag addicts and then literally in three four months the whole neighborhood changed and you see kids running around riding bikes on the streets and totally different feel for the neighborhood so that was very uplifting in the same time very profitable because during the same time san francisco bay area a web 2.0 resurgence and the market for rental real estate just exploded. So I was thinking of buying at the time more in Vallejo. I had like 12 buildings at the time there, but realized that I can't because, you know, the cat was out of the bag. Everybody knew that that was a great, great deal. So I went to the next market, which was Sacramento and Sacramento started exploding a couple of months after that. I was lucky enough to buy three buildings there. Then I thought, what would be the next market? where people are going to start moving out of California because it was too expensive. When geographically, it's Nevada. So I start buying in Las Vegas. I ended up buying four apartment buildings there. And then Las Vegas exploded. So you couldn't buy anything you know, there that made any sense. So what's next? So I, I went to Oklahoma, which proved to be a really good market for me. And then this year, I, started, I bought three buildings in Oklahoma, closing today on the fourth one, and three buildings in Indiana. Well, thank you for giving us some insight into your past experience. And it sounds to me like you hit each of these markets at the perfect time. And just to give us some context, when you mentioned buying these buildings, 12 buildings originally in Vallejo, three in Sacramento, four in Las Vegas, three in Oklahoma, and then a couple in Indiana, you mentioned apartment buildings at one point, but then you mentioned single family as well. So is this a mix of single family and multifamily? I started with the single family homes in Vallejo, but then went into duplexes and fourplexes in Vallejo, and then seven unit buildings, and then anything going forward, 
was 12 to 14 unit buildings in Sacramento. And then Las Vegas already was 30 to 50 units. And then once I got into Oklahoma, it was already 70 unit buildings. I see. And what does your business look like today? It sounds like Indiana is your market of focus at this point. And if you could just describe what your business looks like today and what you're focused on. I'm getting out slowly out of California into markets that still has value add potential, less of a rent control, more of a landlord friendly states. Nevada was focused for a while. Now, Oklahoma is a much larger focus. I'm closing an $11.6 million transaction today in Oklahoma, and it's mainly new construction. Another deal is in the works there, a 20-unit subdivision in a suburb of Oklahoma City as well, as being finished this week, a certificate of occupancy being issued. I like newer products because a lot of people right now want to live in the suburbs and they want to have home offices and they want room for kids to play around. And the home base is more important right now. So my focus right now is newer properties, properties just been completed or recently been completed in the last few years where you're Overhead and expenses for maintenance is not as high. To get it into something like that in California or even in Las Vegas, you're buying usually buildings that build in the 60s or 70s. And on paper, it looks great. It's fantastic. Yeah, but you know, when the broker shows you a, a performer, but uh, once you start diving in into what it really is going to be, you start realizing that you are spending much more on CapEx than you thought because. Nobody's going to tell you that they're selling the building because it needed roof, really, and the sewer line is collapsing. I mean, you do your due diligence, but still, there's a lot of things that are coming up. Sure. So you're focused on buying newer buildings that still may have some sort of value-add components. So would you say more of like a core plus asset type versus value-add? I'm trying to keep the value-add deals, like Indiana deals are value-add deals, because you have to kind of play both. If you want to grow, newer product is easier to manage, but it's lower cap rates. But where you want to build the funds that you're going to use later on for a 1031 exchange for larger properties is the value add. And that's Indiana. The suburb of Indianapolis right now is the market for me. I just bought three buildings there. You could buy buildings there still that would be in a six, seven caps, eight cap if you're ready to spend some money remodeling it. And the rental market is really good there. I see. That makes sense. I appreciate you giving us some background. Maybe let's shift gears slightly here and let's talk about this product, this tool that you've created to help investors identify financing options. Maybe you can just give us a brief summary. Yes. In the last few months during COVID, I did six acquisitions and it was really hard. I'm working on on number seven right now. It's approved. It should be closing in the next week or so, but it was really hard to find the right partners, right banks. And what I realized is every single time you go into a different market with a different product, there's going to be a different bank that will meet that criteria. And you never really know who is going to be. First, you go to your big banks, like US Bank or Wells Fargo or somebody else. But they not always do that, those deals in those markets. Or if they do, the LTV is going to be cost prohibitive. They're very careful and very cautious. 
So you have to find local banks. And then if you don't know the market really well or don't know the financing in that market, you kind of have to knock on every door. So I realized that maybe there should be a tool that's much easier. Lending 3 did that for residential a while back. So I figured maybe it would be easier if there would be a site that you can just plug in your information. I'm financing or refinancing this particular commercial for a multifamily property. And this is how much money down and this is what it makes. And then it automatically puts you together with the right lender. So because by now I already have a huge portfolio of lenders, I realized maybe this is going to be much easier. So I created a site called readylandgo.com. It's a very easy site. Just put your information and it's automatically shops for you, for your market, for that particular product, for the best lender to pair you with. Just for those that may want an example, I mean, this is like kayak of lending or lending tree on the residential side. You plug in your information, the system matches you with a few prospective lenders that would be a match for your project, correct? Correct. And so how have you aggregated all of the potential lenders? Do they subscribe on the back end to Ready Lend Go? Or have you had to reach out individually to them to get them to participate? How does that work? I had to reach out individually to start because you know, everybody is ready for that. But to give you an example, if you were, for example, in Indiana, my last two deals in Indiana, I did with the credit union, with the teacher's credit union, 80% LTV and a three and a half rate with no prepayment penalty. It's a fantastic deal. Nobody could ever come close to that, even the agencies. And no origination fees, very easy, very easy deal. So I did both buildings at the same time with the one lender. So to find a deal like that, if you don't know where you're looking at, what you're looking for, it's going to be really hard. But if that's an, as an example, right? Same, for example, in because you never know what bank or credit union specializing in what product. Now, some of them will be specializing in a particular area, in particular product, like storage or industrial. I have a lot of people right now looking for industrial space in Oklahoma because the cannabis business is booming there. They give 10,000 licenses last year, more than California. So the industrial cannabis business is booming. A lot of people looking to get funding for that. And if you don't know where to go, you don't know. Yeah. And so on the back end, at this point in time, this is a fairly new product that you've created. How many lenders do you have that are participating with you on the site? I have 33 lenders right now, and the number is growing. Is there a particular market focus at this point? Right now, it's market where I am at because I know those markets better. It's California, sure. Nevada, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, and Indiana, Illinois markets. So those are the primarily markets, but we're going to be expanding with larger companies as well. I see. And what do you see the future for Ready, Lend, Go? Oh, I hope that we can help a lot of people finance their deals and refinance their deals and create a much larger platform for that. That's fantastic. Well, before we start to wind down here, I do want to just chat with you a little bit about this concept of finding the right financing for your deals as well as being able to read a P&L the correct way. You mentioned that that's sort of one of your focuses is being able to read a P&L the correct way. Maybe shed some light on what you mean by that. 
Yes, David. Uh, I came from a car industry and my background was in finance, obviously, and sales. So my first and foremost in car business is just to look at your profit and loss statement daily as a general manager of a dealership. So you have to be able to look at numbers and see where are they out of luck. So where are they out of proportion to the where it's supposed to be? It turned out that in commercial real estate is the same thing. So if you look at it and analyze the deal before you even buy it, you can see, okay, the rent is under market compared to market. But the expenses, for example, they're really high. How do you know they're really high? Because you kind of know where the market should be on water, on sewer, on electrical, landscaping, gardening, turns, maintenance. A lot of times a broker sends you a deal and you look at it and you think, it's a four and a half cap deal. Why? It's the reason why nobody buys it is because it's in the secondary market, it's in four and a half cap. When you start looking into numbers, you realize that a lot of the expenses, mom and pop owners, they put their personal expenses into the business. And once you cut that out, all the gardening that they did for their home and their second home or their car expenses or their car maintenance and car payments, all the fixing of their other properties that they poured into this building because it was hurting. Once you back it out, you realize you have a totally different numbers. And you mentioned that you've acquired six going on seven properties since COVID hit. So in the last roughly 12 to 18 months, there's a lot of competition out there in the market today. And so how have you gone about finding those opportunities? It's relationships. So and relationships mainly with brokers. My primarily three markets that I'm expanding, Las Vegas, Nevada, I have a very strong broker. Oklahoma, I have a very strong broker. And uh, Indiana, I have a very strong broker. And once you have those relationships, my advice to you, take them to dinner every time you have an opportunity. So just connect. And how long did you foster those relationships before they actually turned into an actual opportunity that you could acquire? It depends. You know, like my first Vegas deal on Sunday, I look at and I see a deal that matches what I needed. And I call the number hoping that it's going to be a voicemail. I'm going to leave a voicemail on it. And the guy picks up. Hello, this is Blake. And I'm like, oh my God, really? Commercial real estate on a Sunday? Broker answers the phone. <laughs> and I end up buying their building. He ended up selling me three more buildings and selling one for me in the market. And he's, he's just an incredible worker. And that's why when there's a first opportunity, he knows that you're going to close. If it's a good opportunity, you'll find a way to finance. You'll find the money for down payment. You'll find partners if you need to. So they call you first. That's what I mean when I say foster those relationships with those brokers. This is because they're going to come to you with the first deal. Same deal happened to me with Derek in, in Oklahoma, Aaron in Indianapolis, Marcus in Belichick. Same situation. Yeah, yeah. It's critical, right? When a good deal falls out of escrow somewhere and you were not even part of it before, you're the first one they call. I have an eight-cap deal for you. And you could add value to it. And, you know, here, boom. At least on paper, you just made a million dollars. Love it. Well, Arthur, we need to start winding down here, but I've got a few final questions for you. The first is, how are you preparing for a future downturn? I put a lot of effort into securing lines of credit 
because cash is what you will need if something happens. So if you have properties that are appreciated already or they're paid off, you should have at least three months worth of cash on the sidelines or up to six months into lines of credits that you can enter anytime and use it to fix whatever problems you could possibly have. So apply for them now. Don't wait until the downturn. Get that done now. So you can sleep better. If all of a sudden 30% of your tenants stop paying rent for whatever reason, you can't evict and government doesn't pay, right? Which is happening right now. And are these lines of credit subject to arbitrary cancellation by the lender? No, I never seen it. Major banks don't do that. Wells Fargo, Bank of the West, U.S. Bank. Those are the ones that I have lines of credit with. So if I need to, I can always use those lines of credit to cover me until I restructure something. Next question I've got for you is, what's the best way for you to find investors today? Relationships. A lot of dinners, a lot of wine, good wine. Lots of dinners and wine. Love it. And how do you connect with those people to actually get those dinners set up? It's referrals mainly. It's people who already done business with you know that you're going to deliver you're going to close and you're going to deliver and you're going to do what you you said you're going to do and that's primarily in this business this is the most important part you have to do what you said you're going to do well arthur i've enjoyed our conversation today thanks for sharing a little bit about your background and your experience growing up in the soviet union and immigrating here to the u.s and your experience in the car business and then transitioning to real estate. And congratulations on your success on hitting those markets at the right timing for each of those markets and what you've accomplished thus far. And then talking to us a little bit about the new product that you're pushing out, Ready, Lend, Go, and the way that that can help prospective investors find the best financing available for that particular project. And lastly, some strategies and tactics about finding opportunities and networking with brokers. Arthur, what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you and learn more about what you have going on? I'm on LinkedIn, and this is the best way probably. Arthur draws, or they can email me straight. If they have questions, I'm always ready to answer. My email is apt, like an apartment, O-U-R, like our, D is and draws at gmail.com. A-P-T-O-U-R-D at gmail.com. Great. We'll have contact info in the show notes. Feel free to reach out to Arthur. Again, Arthur, thank you so much for coming on the Real Estate Syndication Show, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.